Good morning, Theo 102. Good morning. Welcome Good morning. back from spring break. Welcome back from spring break, which you just had. Wherever you may be. Wherever you may be. I hope it was really breaky. Yes. I had to cancel my spring break plans. So did I. Frustrating. Yes, but we survive. Yes. You we did it. And we don't just survive, we thrive. We are very excited to be uh, continuing and indeed finishing this course with you all. Excited to move forward in the creed today with a phrase that's going to be important um, for thinking about Christianity always, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, I think this one might be, if not, well, if there's one line that is the most important line, this might be it. I don't know. I think you could maybe I argue for it. Yeah, I mean, this is a forgiveness. I probably it's the case. I'm not a scholar of the world's religions at all. Um, I mean, I've done a little bit of study, but I, I, I would go out on a limb and say that, that the concept of forgiveness is, is like one of the most distinct, important things about, about the Christian faith. It is, and it's one of the most difficult ones to wrestle through as well. Oh. So I'm very excited about that, and I'm actually really excited about our, our lecturer as well yeah. today. Um, you all remember him from last semester. Um, and we're excited that he's going to be with us today. I think especially today, he's going to be helpful because he is a pastor. Totally. And having a pastor talk through and think about the forgiveness of sins is, is especially helpful because pastors are with people mm. in great moments of need and in great moments of forgiveness as well. Totally. I'm excited about it. So we're excited to introduce to you Pastor Dominic Doan. He's the lead teaching pastor at Westside at Jesus Church here in Oregon and Beaverton. Um, beautiful, thriving congregation, and Pastor Dominic has been there for many years doing his thing, and we're excited to bring him out to talk to you today in whatever format he chooses or is able to talk to you. TBD, okay, but yes. we'll just, just, just wait for it, okay, whatever but it is. But first, we first, have to do the creed. We got to recite the creed. Yes. Let's recite the creed together. Up to our new phrase, the, the forgiveness, forgiveness of, of sins. We're continuing this I believe clause, right? I believe in this, this, this. I believe in the, the forgiveness, forgiveness of, of sins. sins. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Join us Please in welcoming join us. Pastor Dominic Doan. Hey, Theo class, this is Dominic, and I hope you guys are doing well. I know this has been such a crazy, uh, kind of tumultuous season for so many of us, and uh, definitely not what any of us had expected dealing with this virus and having to lock down and all of that. But I just hope your hearts right now are full of hope and we're going to get through this. God's going to take us through to the other side. And uh, I hope that this video uh, will be encouraging to you. And um, I'm really I've been looking forward to this lecture because what we get to talk about today is so relevant and it's so applicable. And I think it's something that every single one of us are dealing with at some level. And it's all about the forgiveness of sin. So I want to begin um, by reading to you from Matthew chapter 18. So if you have a Bible nearby, if you want to grab it, 
grab a cup of coffee or whatever you need. And uh, let's just kind of dive into this idea of the forgiveness of sins from the creed and what Jesus had to say about it, what it means for our lives today. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 18 in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. Verse 28. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then he ends in verse 35. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Peter thought that he was being really, really generous. He came up to Jesus and he's like, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Should I forgive seven times? Now, what you have to keep in mind is that in the ancient world, rabbis actually taught that the most you would forgive someone was about three times. And even then, it was considered really, really generous. So I, I think Peter is probably like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to really impress Jesus right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that we forgive people seven times. Now, when you think about it, actually seven times is a lot of times to forgive someone. Let's say, you know, after this video, you need to go get something from your car and you go into your car, but then you find that someone's keyed your car. It just looks terrible, like all across one side. And so you do some research and you find out that it was say, I don't know, your ex-boyfriend who did this, right? So you find out and you then call him up. You're like, hey man, why, why did you key my car? That, that's so lame. And, and he's like, you know, I'm sorry. I was just kind of in a bad state of mind. I was still bitter about the breakup or whatever. And, and will, will you forgive me? Now, if your ex-boyfriend did that to you and asked you for forgiveness, would you forgive him? Uh, probably mostly would be like, yeah, okay, maybe I would. If you'd forgive him, like kudos to you. That's a beautiful thing. But let me ask you this. If the next day you go back out to your car and you see it's been keyed up again, and you find out it was him. And then the same thing happens. He's like, hey, will you forgive me? I shouldn't have done it. Would you forgive him two times? If it happened again, would you forgive him three times? If it had been seven times, seven days in a row, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Would you forgive him the seventh time? You see, the point is forgiving someone one time is super, super hard, let alone forgiving someone seven times. But notice what Jesus does. 
Jesus blows away all our expectations and kind of our paradigms of forgiveness. And he's like, look, I'll see your seven and I'll raise you to 77. 77 times. Peter's like, shall I forgive seven times? Jesus is like, no, I, I think you should forgive 77 times. Now, what Jesus is not saying is keep a track record of every time someone hurts you. Okay, man, that was number 44. You've only got a few more times and I'll forgive you. This was number 62. He's not saying keep a list of the amount of times that people wrong you and how many times you forgive. But I think Jesus is actually doing something way more subversive and interesting than that. You see, by using this phrase 77, it's actually bringing us back to another Old Testament passage. That there's a passage in the Old Testament where you see this same formula of 7 and 77. And it's found, if you have a Bible, grab it right now. It's found in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, of course, quick backstory. It's a story of Cain who was jealous of Abel. God warned him. He's like, I want you to deal with that sin of jealousy. He said, sin is like a wild animal that's crouching at your door. But instead of listening to God, Cain ignored God. And so a few days later, Abel's walking in the field. Cain attacked him. He killed him. And then he fled and he founded a city. Interesting, Cain, the city that he founded, he named it after his son Enoch. And Enoch historically actually became one of the most messed up, corrupt cities in the ancient world. It was like filled with greedy, violent people. In fact, another one of his sons, a guy by the name of Lamech, he ended up writing a poem basically boasting for killing someone. This is what he said, and I'm going to read now from Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, notice, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Interesting. Seven times, 77 times. I think this is the story Jesus is drawing from when he says to Peter, don't just forgive seven times, forgive 77 times. Why would Jesus refer to that story? Because what he's doing is he's subverting and actually redeeming the story of Lamech. Jesus is saying here, look, I have come to show you a whole new way of being human, where it's not about violence or greed or jealousy or bitterness, repaying gossip for gossip, anger with anger, hate with hate. Instead, Jesus is like, my way is about showing you grace. It's about pursuing peace. It's about forgiving one another. And you know what? When you study the Gospels, you see that this was absolutely central to Jesus' message. It's everywhere, right? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, this is what you need to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who have wronged us, as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew or Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, he says, Father, he's hanging on the cross, and he's like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So back to Matthew 18. Jesus, he takes what Peter says, should I forgive seven times? He's like, nope, I want you to do it 77 times, which is a redemption, a subversion of the story of Lamech and Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. But then Jesus follows it up in Matthew 18 
with a story of what forgiveness looks like. And I, I love that Jesus does this. Jesus doesn't just give us truth or content, but he also gives us stories. He gives us practical ways that this is lived out. And he says to his disciples, he's like, I want you to imagine a king. You know, the, the, their king, he's a, he's a good king. And, and he has this huge kingdom. And there's a servant in his kingdom who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, by saying 10,000 bags of gold, he's essentially saying, I want you to imagine a guy who owes you a zillion dollars. Like, there's no way you could pay this back. It's like the national debt or something. He's saying, okay, there's this astron astronomical amount that he owes him. But in an act of mercy, the king canceled the debt and decided to let him go. The, the, the servant, though, once he'd been forgiven, he immediately left the palace. He found someone who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now you gotta know, a hundred silver coins in the ancient world is like 20 bucks. It's nothing. And this servant who had just been forgiven a zillion dollars takes this guy who owes him just 20 bucks and he starts to choke him. He's like, pay me back. And he's beating him. And then he has this guy thrown in prison. And, and when the other servants saw this happen, they, they ran and they told the king, they're like, man, there's this guy who just beat up this guy because he owed him 20 bucks. Now, question, in the story that Jesus tells, who does the king represent? It's God, right? Jesus is showing us here that central to the heartbeat and the character of God is forgiveness. God is a forgiving God. Remember Exodus chapter 34? It's a great example. Exodus 34. Moses, he, he's on Mount Sinai and he's like, God, I just, I, I want to know you. I, I, I want to learn about you. God, show me your glory. And then, and then he actually asked God at one point, he's like, God, what is your name? And again, in the ancient world, the person's name, it spoke of their nature, spoke of their character. Nowadays, we just name people if we like the sound of the name. But back then, many times, people would be named based on like a prophetic word or what they thought that child would become. So Moses says, God, show me your name. It's not like a polite introduction. He's like, God, I want you to tell me, I want you to show me who you are. What's your character? And God tells Moses, he's like, this is who I am. Verse six of Exodus 34, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Notice this, God's name, God's identity, who God actually is, is compassion, is grace, is love, is forgiveness. So God in the story, Matthew 18, he is the king. The king is a symbol, it's a picture of, of his name, of his heartbeat, his nature. Now, who's the servant in the story? Well, here's the bad news. The servant represents us, right? It represents humanity. Because of our sin, our bad decisions, anger, lust, greed, selfishness, whatever. It's like we've accumulated this debt but rather than punishing us for it, what does God do? Because of grace, this is, the, this is the gospel. Because of his son, he canceled the debt. He forgave us of our sin. He set us free. And so Jesus is telling us, look, we owed God this insurmountable debt because of the bad things that we've done. But because God is a good God, because he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, his nature, his character, it is forgiveness he forgave us of that huge debt that we owed him. And, and you got to keep in mind that when Jesus is talking about this radical forgiveness, 
Um, he, he's talking about a kind of forgiveness that was almost unheard of in the ancient world. Um, there's a fascinating study by a guy named David Constant. And uh, the name of the, the study is called Before Forgiveness, The Origins of a Moral Idea. It's a fascinating book. And in it, he argues that there was no concept of forgiveness in the literature of the Greeks. He argues that forgiveness actually in the ancient world wasn't really a value. Instead, what they did value was appeasement. Now, what's appeasement? Appeasement is when you just accept payment for a wrong committed. So back to that example, your boyfriend keys your car. Well, let's say that he then hands you a check to pay for that car. You may or may not forgive him, but you're willing to call it a truce because he paid you for it, right? That's about as far as the Greeks went with forgiveness. They're like, okay, maybe there's appeasement if there's some kind of payment or retribution. But forgiveness, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about, that just didn't really exist in their value structure. And in that book by David Constant, he explains why in their religious system, the Greek religious system, it was all about appeasing the gods. So if there's a fire, if there's a flood, if there's a virus, whatever, they thought, well, it's because Zeus is ticked off. If we just... If we can sacrifice to Zeus, if we can give him more goats or voodoo donuts or whatever he wants, then maybe he'll settle down. So that was their understanding of forgiveness. Jesus, though, is saying something absolutely revolutionary. He's saying, this is what God is like. God doesn't just accept your apology. He forgives you. He accepts you. He loves you. And this is why the writers of the New Testament, they built on this idea that when they use, in fact, when they use the word forgiveness in the New Testament, they didn't use the normal Greek word for forgiveness. The normal Greek word for forgiveness is this word, uh, signome, which means absolution. But the writers of the New Testament, they actually came up with three other words. Uh, the first two are ephemi and ephesus. And these words in Greek mean to free or release, or to cancel the debt of someone else. Um, one example would be Colossians 2, where Paul says, God made you alive with Jesus. He forgave us our trespasses. He canceled the debt ascribed to us in the decrees that stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So you have these Greek words for forgiveness, but there's another one, charizomai in the Greek language, which means not just canceling a debt, but showing kindness to the one who wronged you. Now, th this is huge. So the ancient Greeks, they didn't really have a value for forgiveness. What they did value instead was appeasement if there was some kind of retribution. Jesus is teaching on radical forgiveness, not just three times or seven times, but 77 times. And the writers of the New Testament built on that concept of forgiveness. And then they began to teach forgiveness. It's, it's not just canceling the debt or forgiving someone in your heart. But in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, it can actually mean showing kindness to the person who wronged you. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a chance to go to Rwanda. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but my goodness, one of the most beautiful, breathtaking countries I've ever visited. But also, I think one of the most heartbreaking countries I've ever been to. Um, you go back to the late or the early 90s, and there was a genocide that happened there. A genocide that wiped out a million people, a million Tutsis. And it, it's absolutely, you, you start to meet some of these people and you go to some of these villages, like I had a chance to do, that had been wiped out. And 
You hear some of the stories how in 90 days with machetes, a million Tutsis were slaughtered and killed. And hearing these stories of people who survived, or the kids of people who survived, or the grandkids of people who survived, or people who were there during that time, it just broke, it broke my heart. But one thing I'll, I'll never forget as long as I live, wasn't just hearing the horror of the stories, but hearing story after story of forgiveness. I've never seen anything like it. If, if you wanna see a beautiful, redemptive, breathtaking model of what forgiveness looks like, go to Rwanda. And, and I'm hearing these stories. And one of the stories I came across was by a lady named Immaculate Libagiza. She was 22 years old when the genocide began, and she survived the genocide by hiding for several months in a pastor's bathroom. There were seven other people there, and this pastor opened up his bathroom, risking his own life, and he's like, look, I can hide you here. It's, it's tiny, it's cramped, but, but this is the only place I can offer. So they, they hid in this bathroom for, for several months while the genocide is happening all around them. And when she finally came out, she discovered that most of her family had been slaughtered. Her parents, her two brothers. And she began, you know, the grieving process. She began to put her life back together. But one of the things she learned in this process was the power, the beauty, the challenge of forgiveness. She actually wrote a book about it, which I highly recommend. It's called Left to Tell. Left to Tell, one of the most beautiful books you'll ever read. But in that book, she tells a story. And she, well, probably the most heartbreaking bit was she knew a ton of the killers. Um, these are like old friends, neighbors, people at school. And she, she's super honest. Like she describes the grief and the pain, the rage that she had in, in finding out what happened. But she then begins to describe too how God began to change her heart to, to forgive those who had done this to her family. Well, a few years later, she visited the prison where the man who killed her family was being held. The guards knew she was coming. They grabbed this guy. They drug him before her. They were fully expecting her to take revenge, have him beaten, or at least like, you know, speak her mind. But instead, something different happened. And, and I'll just read to you a little bit from, from this book. It's, it's mind-blowing. She said, Felician was sobbing. This was the guy who killed her family. I could feel his shame. He looked up at me for only a moment, but our eyes met. I reached out, touched his hands lightly, and quietly said what I'd come to say, I forgive you. My heart eased immediately, and I saw the tension release in Felician's shoulders before Samana pushed him out of the door and into the courtyard. Two soldiers yanked him up by his armpits and dragged him back toward his cell. When Samana returned, he was like the guy overseeing the prison. He was furious. What was that all about? That was the man who murdered your family. I brought him to you to question, to spit on if you wanted to, but you forgave him. How could you do that? Why did you forgive him? I answered him with the truth. Forgiveness is all I have to offer. It's that kind of forgiveness that the writers of the New Testament said that God has shown us. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just cancel our debt. 
or even just pay the price for our sin and our shame and our guilt. He went beyond that and he gave us grace. He showed us kindness. He reached out his hand. He poured out on our lives hope and joy and love and peace and his spirit. He led us out of Enoch, this messed up, broken city where we used to do life. He brought us into a new city, a new family, a new community. And now Jesus says, I want you to share and show that kind of radical grace to others as well as I have forgiven you and loved you. I want you to do that to others. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, this is why the writers of the Apostles' Creed put in their creed this, this foundational document, this statement of the things that are vital to our faith, this is why they put in here this line, the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven us. He's the king. He forgave us our debt, but he also calls us to forgive others. But here, here's the question I, I want to wrestle with before we go. What does this actually look like? Like, how can we forgive people? And I think this is such an important question because there's all kinds of false, toxic views on what forgiveness is out there. In fact, there's this book I recommend. It's called The Art of Forgiving. The Art of Forgiving. If you're right now struggling to forgive someone, I think most of us have people in our life that we need to forgive. This book is so good. It's by a guy named Lewis Means, The Art of Forgiving. And, and in that book, he says, this is what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting. It's not condoning or excusing. It's not tolerating. It's not, this is important, it's not allowing further abuse. It's not returning back even to the way things were before. You know, some people think that when they forgive someone that they have to be a doormat for that person. Just lay down, take it again and again. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Forgiveness isn't looking past what that person did to you. Forgiveness isn't acting like it isn't a big deal because it is a big deal. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, uh, Matthew 18, Jesus said, hey, if someone wrongs you, you need to call it out. Like first you need to go to them, mono e mono, just you need to be honest with them. You need, you need to talk to them. And then he said, if, if they don't listen, then you need to take a couple others with you as backup. And if they still don't listen, bring other witnesses. In other words, Jesus is saying the only way you can forgive is to first be honest with yourself. And you need to be honest with them about what they did to you. You know, in that book, The Art of Forgiving, Lewis Smead says, when we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. We look evil full in the face. We call it what it is. We let its horror shock us and stun and enrage us. And only then do we forgive it. Forgiveness isn't the instant restoration of trust. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you sugarcoat what they did to you or that you approve of their actions. In fact, according, just according to stats, like those of you who are listening, there's a good number of people who, man, you've been wronged by someone, maybe physically, emotionally, maybe sexually. Someone has hurt you. Someone has wronged you. And this is so important that I say this. Your first priority, if you're in that space and someone's wronged you and harmed you, 
your first priority isn't to forgive them. The forgiveness comes later. Your first priority, if you're in a, a dangerous situation, your first priority, if you're in a place where your 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 body is in danger, your first priority is to find a safe space. Your first priority is to find people who can help you and support you, a community around you to get out of that place of danger so that you can be safe. And uh, if you're in that place at all, like you have an amazing team of professors and pastors and people at George Fox who would love to help you and call you up and give you advice. So this is so important. Like, Forgiveness doesn't mean you just stick around and allow someone to hurt you or abuse you. You get out of that situation, you find a safe space, and then you can begin the healing process. And another important thing here is that forgiveness, I think, begins with honesty as we call it out. Like, what they did to me was wrong. What they did to me was a sin. But, but here, here's the key difference. Instead of looking for ways to retaliate, instead of looking for ways to harm that person, Forgiveness chooses to let it go and move to a place of healing. And this is where forgiveness is a challenge. At least it is for me because man, if someone hurts me or wrongs me, it's like everything in me wants to take revenge on that person. I mean, in the parable, God forgave the servant zillions of dollars. What does he do? He immediately went out and found someone who found him, who owed him 20 bucks, chokes him, throws him in prison, which is kind of ironic because what's the one thing the guy can't do if he's in prison? He can't repay the debt, right? So this guy is completely irrational at this point, throwing him in prison, demanding that he pay the debt, but now he's in prison and he can't, he can't repay the debt. You see, this is what unforgiveness does. This is what bitterness does. You go down that path of retribution, revenge, and it takes it from, look, all I want is justice or them to say sorry. And it gets up to a point where it's no longer about justice. You just want that person to suffer. You just want that person to feel the same pain that you have. And, and that's where unforgiveness can actually be so toxic to your soul and take you to dark places. And I think many of us, we can struggle with that propensity to want to take revenge on someone who's hurt us. And it's especially a problem if you have an argumentative personality. Like some people are just naturally argumentative. Um, they'll argue over anything. Like I do way more of my fair share of work around here. You do way too little. We call those people roommates, right? Or he got a bigger piece of the dessert. He got a bigger allowance. That's not fair. He did fewer chores. We call those people brothers and sisters. Or you're a miserable boss. This place is so dysfunctional. I'm overworked and underpaid. We call those people unemployed, right? I think many of us, we can kind of naturally be confrontational. Maybe you have that kind of personality. You love to speak your mind. But, but here's the problem with that. Revenge, anger, it only perpetuates the cycle of bitterness. Revenge, anger, it only postpones the work of healing in your life. You know, it's been said before that bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to fall down dead. In fact, the English word wrath 
comes from this old Anglo-Saxon word, uh, wreath. If you think of like the Olympics, right? Like a wreath, it's it kind of twisted, right? If you go back further, wrath is related to the word wraith. Think Lord of the Rings, right? The wraiths were those ghosts or spirits or whatever that can't rest, that are literally trapped by the past. That's what wrath does to us. That's what anger does to us. It traps us. It, it makes us less human. In fact, there, a study was done at Stanford. A doctor said, bitterness is toxic to our, our physiology. He said, bitterness increases stress, increases vulnerability to sickness and disease. But then he said, check this out. Letting go of a grudge, forgiving, can slash stress levels up to 50%. It can improve mood, sleep quality, and overall physical vitality. Crazy. The point is, forgiveness is good for you. It liberates you. It heals you. So how do you get there? Well, we talked about honesty. We talked about community, like having people around you that can walk with you through that journey, giving up our right to retaliate, pursuing the way of peace. But there's one more thing I want to leave with you. And I think this is the most challenging thing of all. Forgiveness is a daily choice that we make. You know, when you forgive someone, it's not like the pain just magically disappears. Oh, I feel so much better now. It's like it never happened. No, forgiveness is a long, slow, challenging road. Forgiveness is a way of life that looks a whole lot more like a marathon than a sprint. You know, Jesus, he, he said, you must forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Right? That's interesting because when the Bible talks about our heart, it's not talking about just a muscle in our chest. It's talking about the center of our emotions and our will. It's talking about our decision and our feelings. You see, for Jesus, forgiveness is a choice that becomes a feeling. That at first, the last thing you want to do is forgive that person. The very thought of forgiving that person makes you sick. But when you choose to do it, your feelings toward that person begin to change. Paul Young, he said, forgiveness is not about forgiving. It's about letting go of another person's throat. You know, think of that servant choking the other servant. You might have to declare your forgiveness a hundred times the first day and the second day, but the third day will be less and each day after until one day you will realize that you have forgiven completely. And then one day you will pray for wholeness. Corrie Ten Boom, she lived through the Holocaust. She learned what it meant to forgive those who had wronged her. She, she saw those closest to her brutally murdered. And she said, if you've ever seen a country church with a bell in the steeple, you will remember that to get the bell ringing, you have to tug a while. Once it has begun to ring, you merely maintain the momentum. As long as you keep pulling, the bell keeps ringing. Then she said, forgiveness is letting go of the rope. It is just that simple. But when you do, the bell keeps ringing. Momentum is still at work. However, if you keep your hands off the rope, the bell will begin to slow and eventually stop. Forgiveness is about learning to let go of the rope. And at first the bell keeps ringing. Bitterness is still the loudest voice in the room. But in time, that sound gets quieter and quieter and quieter until eventually it stops.
So I just leave you with this thought. Is it time for any of you watching this video? Is it time to let go of the rope? Is there any bitterness or unforgiveness in your life that you've been holding on to? And man, you just feel it. it it's kind of toxic to you and it's creating more anger in you. And it's like this cycle that goes around and around. You keep replaying the situation and getting more and more angry, more and more bitter. The bell is ringing. But could it be that for some of us, God is saying, you need to let that go. You need to give it to me. You, you need to forgive. Because when you forgive, it's then that you are set free.